Every year, thousands of fires burn throughout Western Australia. Bushfires account for the highest number of fires attended to by both career and volunteer firefighters. Over 75% of firefighters in Western Australia are bushfire volunteers, yet there are still many people out there today who don't even know that they exist. Change needs to happen. Now we are sharing the stories of the unpaid professionals who keep our local communities safe from the fire. Welcome to this week's episode of The Unpaid Professionals, where we share the real stories of the volunteer bushfire fighters from all over Western Australia. My name is Sinead, and although I'm not a firefighter myself, I currently work for Bushfire Volunteers, the non-profit association that represents volunteer bushfire fighters in Western Australia and advocates for their health, well-being and safety on and off the fire ground. Today, we're interviewing Bev Sini from the Somerset Hill Volunteer Bushfire Brigade, located in the Shire of Denmark. Hi Bev, thank you for volunteering to share your story with us today, and thank you for your service. Can you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Okay. Um, well, we moved out um, to rural Denmark oh, about 30 years ago now. Um, my husband was a, a FISO at the time, and... Uh, we were pretty much in the middle of nowhere. I'd sort of look around and I could see a couple of lights here and there, but um, nothing much. I didn't know a soul and I certainly didn't know one end of the pump from the other. We had the uh, somebody from the fire brigade sort of said that they were having a, a meeting and, and would I come along? And I wanted to know as much as I could so that when Roger was away, I was able to sort of look after things here. There were four people at that meeting and we decided that we needed a lot more volunteers. So they enlisted me to, to go and um, sort of try and, you know, try and get the community involved. So I went and knocked on a lot of doors and um, invited people around to a, a Christmas party at our place. And that was the first, the first sort of thing that we started doing. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, so you didn't know anything at all about like, you know, the volunteers until you started and then the first thing you did was just go out and try and get, you know, more people involved. Yes, that's right. Didn't know a thing and you've got, you know, you've got to know your neighbours, you've got to be able to sort of get out there and um, see if you can get people because people don't know, um, you know, they don't know how to fight fire, not always. Um, they don't know how to, to sort of get in touch with people when they do, especially way back then. We really sort of did some work on that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I guess, how did you do it to start with? Were you like door knocking or was there a letter drop? Like, how did you go? I went around to every single property in the area. And if they were home, I introduced myself. And if they weren't home, uh, I wrote little notes and stuck them in plastic bags and put them onto their, their gate so that when they did eventually turn up, they'd get the message. And uh, we ended up with 19 people at that party. So that was oh, a really, really good start. Yeah, definitely. And I guess that goes on to, you know, like reiterate like how close and how, I guess, community-minded bushfire brigades are. It's very important to get your community involved. Uh, we went to one fire oh, back in 2011 and um, it was right on the boundary of our property. And of course, we were out fighting the fire, so we couldn't be at home looking after our place. I was in the truck with my husband. And we came back, we were out for 26 hours straight. Um, we came back to the property here and the police told us that the community had, had sort of been around to make sure this place was safe. They'd closed all the curtains, they'd put out fire hoses, 
Um, another couple took our dog. Um, the vet let the police know that they were prepared to move our, our cattle and horses if we wanted them to. Um, and then there was also a message um, just telling us that we could go to a friend's place up the road and there, that there was a, a meal on the stove and we could just go eat and go back home and go to bed. So it was, yeah. it brought tears to my eyes. It's so important. Yeah. Um, you know, the community is one of the most important things that we've got for our brigade because um, we're out there fighting the fires and, and they're, they're there helping us and supporting us. So that's, that's really important. And we've got a, a great um, sort of like social environment, if you like. Uh, we have social functions. Um, you know, we encourage the kids to come along. And that way then we're also bringing new people into the brigade so that we've got somebody to step up when um, we get older and, and start to sort of step down, you know. Yeah, definitely. And I guess, you know, like when you talk about, um, you know, bushfire volunteers compared to like the other different, you know, like firefighting services, I guess like one, like a huge thing people don't really know is that, you know, volunteers aren't just the people, you know, going out to fight the fires. It's not just the people in, like, you know, communications at the station. It's everyone else. Like, it's the community who, like, you know, they come down, the families, like, cooking food or, you know, helping out wherever they can, whether it's, you know, even just looking after, like you said, like, grabbing your dog or, like, you know, vets checking in to look after the cattle. Like, it's not just, you know, the people in the trucks. No, that's, that's so true. And... um you know, they're, they're so important and they also, you know, help us to feel supported. We're not just doing it for ourselves. We're, we're doing it for the community and, and they're there behind it and it's so important. Yeah. Oh, I'm getting shivers. <laughs> <laughs> it's so nice. I don't get that. Like that's, I guess that's what we're trying to do this podcast to share those stories, but to also teach people, you know, why, you know, why you care so much and what it is you care about and like why it's so, so important. And, you know, I mean, we need you. Like... <laughs> It is important. Um, yeah. You know, when, when we got down here and we were so far out and my husband was, was working away, um, you realise just how isolated and alone you are. And if I'm feeling that way, then other people out there are feeling that way too, you know, like new people into the area. Um, yeah. We make a, a point of, of um, making sure that everybody that moves into the area out here I go and introduce myself and give them some fire information and ask them if they'd like to come along to one of our meetings or to one of our Christmas parties because it's not just about meetings, it's about the social get-togethers as well. So we always have a great Christmas party. Um, we invite other brigades to come along and so that we all get to know each other and um, it's some downtime after we've been out fighting fires. Yeah. Um, we had a we sort of... Um, I've been very involved in um, creating some, some bigger functions too, like we do a, an event called um, Feast Not Fire, and uh, that's a, a once-a-year event, and it's a, a big sort of formal dinner. Um, we have guest speakers, and we have a group of volunteers that sort of set up the, the venue, and we get catering, and it's a great event for the uh, older bush firefighters and the retired bush firefighters and also the, the young ones that haven't necessarily got families or can, um, that do have families but can get babysitters. Yeah. But then for the families, we do something called um, a bonfire for brigade and we have a, you know, pick a, a big paddock somewhere and have a whopping great bonfire. Um, a couple of us 
do all the catering. Uh, we'll do a spit roast and you know some other yummy things, and mm. we'll have tubs of marshmallow. You know, sort of little fires around so that the kids can toast marshmallows, and we encourage people to um, camp out overnight if they want to, because then they're not drinking and driving. And we have live music, and if uh, you know, one of the benefits of um, them camping out overnight is that. If they're there in the morning, I'll put on breakfast, but then they give us a hand to clean up. Yeah, <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah, very handy, you know, like everyone doing their part to help out. Yes, yeah. yes. So it's really, really good in that regard. Yeah, definitely. We've, um, you know, we've spoken before like a little bit about, um, I guess, the kind of equipment that you've got at your yeah. brigade. Can you talk us through, you know, like how that's changed, you know, since you started and what it's like now? Oh, for sure. Um, when we first started, uh, we had what they call a slip-on unit, which is a, a 90-litre um, tank on a, a couple of metal skids. And we had that balanced um, under a lean-to on a 44-gallon, you know, 44-gallon drum. And we used to, you know, the firefighters that we had then, we'd sort of go and um, hoist that up and load it onto the back of one of our utes and we'd go off and fight the fire. And then um, several years after that, we realised that we needed something bigger and better. Um, so we did some fundraising and we bought ourselves a, a Toyota Land Cruiser. But it was <laughs> it was a very interesting vehicle. Um, it had a lean to it because um, one of the, the shock absorbers had, had gone. Um, oh, no. <laughs> we had <laughs> the rocket cover was held on with a tech screw. Um, and we always had to leave some water in the tank um, for when we were coming home because the radiator would boil. Oh, my goodness. So that, that is it safe help. to – was it registered? Like is that – Oh, yeah, it yeah, was okay. registered. <laughs> but this is, this is 30 years ago, you know. Yeah. Um, so this is back in the time. And we just had to have a vehicle. So that was what we had. But it allowed us to go into the, the um, exchange, if you like, for vehicles. So when another brigade – had a vehicle that was on its last legs, we could get rid of this one that we had and get that one. So it was a, a bit better than the last one that we had. And then uh, the next one we got was better again. And now we've got a, a brand spanking new vehicle and um, it's got all the um, deluge system on it, which means that if we get caught in a in a burnover, we've got all the safety gear, we've got um, we've got a div- uh, all fire trucks now are uh, having uh, defibrillators on board, so yeah, we've we've got all the all the mod cons now. Yeah, but um, I'm pretty sure the association was lobbying, um, you know, for like defibrillators to be installed yes. in like all the fire trucks. So, um, do you yeah. know? So that comes out now. Yeah, yeah. So that's really good, you know, because that's the thing. You're out in the bush, like you need help. Yeah. That old Land Cruiser you mentioned, like, would you be allowed to drive something like that now? Would there be a few rules? No, no, good heavens, no. Yeah. That that first Land Cruiser, Land Cruiser that we had um, would well and truly be um, on the on the junk heap now. It was, um, it wasn't a safe vehicle, yeah, but it okay. was all that we had. And back yeah. then, um, you know, being able to go and fight a fire was better than not being able to go. Yeah, definitely, um, yeah. You know, now there's a lot more rules and a lot more safety. And, yeah. Um, Do yeah. you think that, you know, your equipment improved before, like, the rules changed? Or was it in unison? Or was it, you know, one before the other, like, the rules were getting a bit stricter and you're like, oh, no. I think it sort of goes hand in hand, yeah. you know. We're all getting better and better at recognising what we need out there. Um, you've got to recognise the need before the need is granted. 
you know, that's usually what sort of comes first. Um, it's like now we've all got, you know, we're all trained in, in first aid and, and now we're also doing mental health first aid training in the brigade. Um, and that's because they're realising that, you know, there's a lot of mental stress that goes with fighting fires on a continuous basis. So we're now looking after the mental health of our firefighters, which was something that wasn't heard of back then. I guess that's what's so good about, you know, like firefighting and communities. You've got that support network and you're there to help if you need help, like especially when things get bad. Yeah, and they do get bad. You know, I've sort of being in it for as long as we have and and, um, doing as much training as we've done. Um, We were part of a a strike team, so we'd go out to some of the very big fires all around the the sort of uh, Great Southern, if you like. Um, So there were some very big fires that uh, we've we've sort of been out to. Yeah. And would you be, um, um, you know, would would you be comfortable like telling any stories from any of those fires? Like was there anything that, you know, really the wider public should hear about? Or um, well, there's, you know, you've got to have your wits about you. Um, some of the fires were, were very big. Um, you know, Boddington was a, a, a big fire. Um, the ones up in the hills in Perth, um, Waruna and Yalu, that was yeah, another one. Um I got um, injured in in uh, Waruna at that fire, um, but the one at Boddington was um, that was a, a full on fire, and we were out there for very long periods of time, not because uh, we wanted to be, but because we were out in parts where we couldn't get back. We were okay out there. Yeah. We were we were in in radio contact. Yeah, um, okay. mostly your radio contact. Uh, very good. Sometimes you end up in a in a black spot. Yeah. Um, the fire created its own storm, and um, it sort of we had high voltage um, power out in one of the areas that we were in, and it the storm sort of started the the rain. So of course that makes it very dangerous indeed because um, you've got a risk of the fire arcing because of the high voltage. And another time we had to, one of the fires, we were in a convoy and we had to get out of this area and we had to wait for the fire to, to jump the road ahead of us further up. We had lookouts watching for when that happened so that then we could, we could get through. And as soon as we could get through, we all sort of stayed together and, and just went through the, the line, if you like, and um, got back to, to a, a much, much safer area. I've been up on a, an inscar- escarpment. We were following a dozer that was putting a fire break in or trying to put in a fire break around the fire to, to cut it off yeah. so that it couldn't get down to the, um, the valley and the town. So we were up in the um, fire truck following this dozer and he ended up getting stuck. And so we had to, to call in a, the helicopter uh, water bomber to um, do a water drop for us while we were up there. That was pretty pretty full on. Yeah, there's, there's been some, some pretty full on situations. You've got to have your wits about you when yeah, you're out definitely, there. definitely, yeah. And I guess, um, please correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I've heard um, inside a fire, the weather changes. So you're getting oh, readings, you know, you're getting readings from outside the fire, but it's completely different. I know oh. at um, Boddington, I looked up, you know, into the sky because there were sort of black, all around us and we wanted to see which way the, the you know sort of where the, the clearing was yeah and I looked up and 
all the, the wind, it's all coming together. So all the clouds were coming to the same spot. It was like oh it was all converging onto yeah. this, this sort of central area right above it. Um, and that was scary. Yeah. You know, looking up and sort of seeing that, it's like, oh, you're kidding me. The fire wasn't surrounding us as tightly as that, but it was on all sides. Yeah. And the, you know, sort of we had plenty of sort of safe space in the middle, um, you know, where we were. And it was a large area, but the fire was on all sides and when it, and it converges. So you can sort of see it, you know, you've got to know how to get out of these places. You've got to know your safe way out. And we had all of that planned. We planned all of that before we even got in there. But it can all change. Yeah. You know? There's a lot of training that we do and a lot of training that's available to us. One of the things that's really, really important is an acronym and it's called LACES yeah. and um, L-A-C-E-S. Yep. And it means um, you've, got to, you've got to look out. You've got to look out for not only yourselves but for everybody. You've got to sort of be keeping an eye on people to make sure that they're safe, make sure that they're um, not walking under a tree that's about to fall down or, um, you know, sort of they're, you, you're keeping an eye out for, for everyone. Um, you've got to have your awareness about you so that um, you're aware of the, the um, situation and any anticipated behaviour of the fire and any hazards and, you know, any precautions that you need to, to take. Um, you've got to the C is for the communication, and that means that you've got to talk to, to your team. You've got to speak up about any concerns that you have or anything you're not comfortable with or anything that, you know, sort of isn't going right or something you need to change so that you're all communicating together. You've got to have a planned escape route, and everybody has to know about that. So we'll sort of say, right, um, if we need to get out of here in a hurry, that's the way we're going to go. Yeah. Um, and we've also got to know where the, the safe place is so that there's a safe refuge for everybody to, to sort of go to. If an area's already been burned, that's an area that's sort of safe to, to go to afterwards because it's not going to burn again. So oh, you've got okay. to you know you've got to have your wits about you and make sure that you know you know these things. Yeah, definitely, yeah. And I guess what do you do, you know, like in that situation like we were talking about before, like if something, you know, changes and your initial planned route, like all of a sudden, you know, a tree's fallen down or like something's come across like how do you figure out what's the safe way to go if something happens to I guess the plan okay. route out there's always something you can do um we've got a lot of safety sort of things if you like or things that we can put in place yeah first of all we would uh, we would radio and let them know you know let the control know that there's something that's happened and and we need to to get out or there's a tree gone down and we're we're in a position and we'd sort of give them our location. We, we have grid references that we can give them. And we've got on, the, on all the vehicles, we've got a point at the front of the vehicle where we can sort of attach a, a rope or a chain or whatever. And it's a snatch strap. We can sort of pull a, a tree out of the way yeah. if the tree is too big um, and we haven't got, you know, haven't got another way, then we'd, we'd sort of radio. Yeah. If the fire is, um, sort of coming too close and our way has been cut off. We've got a, um, like burnover. Yeah. Um, so we've got a, a, something that we've been trained in to allow us to know how to protect ourselves and what to do. All of our vehicles are fitted with sort of like heat shields that come down over the windscreens and we've got fire blankets and we also have a, a deluge system on the trucks, which is a, 
a hose system that sends out a, a sprinkle over the whole truck and in front of the truck and over the wheels and, and everything else as well. So we're yeah. trained in when to use that and how to use it. And then we've also got a breathing canister yeah. for each of the people in the truck that if we happen to be in that burnover situation, then we've also got access to, to good, clean, pure air. And then we would wait for the fire to pass and then get out of the truck. And so there's, you know, there's lots of things that we can do. And yeah. we can also um, call in a helicopter for, or one of the planes or something to do a water drop on top of us. Yeah, okay. so there are, you know, like you you should be okay. You'd be pretty unlucky if, you know, yeah. you ran out of yeah. options. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. there's sort of, there's, you know, we do hear of things that, that go wrong, but generally we've got a lot of safety things in place and provided we've, we've done our training yeah, and, you know, provided we've got somebody in charge of our group that, that knows what they're doing as well, then generally we're, we're okay. Yeah, definitely. I guess that's why as well, like going back to what we first spoke about, like it's so important, you know, to have that community spirit, like, you know, like that's to know absolutely. in situations like that, you know, you've got each other's back. Yeah, that, yeah right. You're going to be fine. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, is there anything else, you know, that you'd like to mention, you'd like to discuss before we close off? Yeah, just, just briefly. Yeah. Um, it's like community fire preparedness. We have our own sort of local group. Each street or road has a, a fire preparedness group. And in towns, you've got roads in towns where the people get together and they work out their safety plan and what they're going to do in case of fire, whether or not they're going to stay or whether they're going to leave. And one of the things that's really important for people to be aware of is, can you get a fire truck down your driveway? If not, what can they do to allow that to happen? Otherwise, they're going to have to think about leaving because if you can't get a fire truck in, then you really shouldn't be in there um, trying to save your property. You've got to tune into the weather conditions because there's not always going to be somebody from a fire truck that's going to come in to let you know it's time to evacuate. You've got to think about that for yourself. Yeah, definitely. Um, Is there any key conditions, you know, to look out for, I guess? Like what? Well, you've got to look out for your weather conditions. You know, we all know when it's hot and dry and when the wind's blowing. Yeah. So if you're in a, you know, if that's happening in your area, then turn your radio on and turn it on to the ABC so that you can listen to um, to see what's going on in the area. If there's any fires that have happened, get your DFS website up or put yeah, a, um, the emergency WA it. app on your phone. Yeah. They are. They're brilliant. Yeah, I've noticed they've done so it they're... on um, Twitter as well. Or like, you know, for anyone yeah. who uses social media, like they're really good on Facebook and, um, you know, just posting yeah. alerts. Yeah, definitely. It's yeah. so important. So don't just, you know, don't wait for somebody to come and knock on your door because if that's the case, then you've left it too late. Definitely, yeah. So there's the, just to, you know, go over those again. Emergency WA, that's um, an app for your phone. Perfect. You've got the ABC radio and um, keep your mobile phone charged. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's so important. One other important thing too is um, a lot of people light fires. If if you're going to light a fire, to burn your garden waste or, or whatever, make sure you've got the means to put it out. Because if you haven't got the means and the capability of putting it out, don't light it. Definitely. That's so important. You know, you've got to be aware. Like, you know, when there's a fire ban, it's there for a reason. We were called yeah. out to a fire and the whole property, all the, the sort of land, it was a rural property, had, had gone. It had gone into the neighbor's space 
And when we got there, the guy, he'd littered in the middle of a swamp so you couldn't get access to the fire. And all he had was an ice cream container with water in to put it out. He had no hope of controlling it. He wanted to burn off the, the swamp to get rid of the, the rushes and the reeds. Oh, my goodness. He wasn't thinking. Yeah, no. Yeah. I guess it's crazy how common, you know, like stuff like that is as well. Because you, you hear about mm. it all the time, you know, like where it's just something yeah. something that could have been, you know, so easily avoided as well. And now all of a sudden, like, you know, you've got all the brigades out there. and Yeah, yeah just look at the way the wind's blowing and look at the temperature and... Um, you know, check the weather forecast to see if you're going to get a change in weather direction. And if you are, then maybe don't like the fire. Yep, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, um, thank you so much for um, volunteering to share you know, your story with us today. Like, we do really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Cheers. Okay. Well, that's all we have time for today. If you're interested in becoming a volunteer firefighter, reach out to your local government or feel free to send a message to media at bushfire.org.au. If you have any questions about the service or if you would like to help out, thanks again for tuning in and enjoy the rest of your day. Unpaid Professionals is authorised by Bushfire Volunteers, ABN 88309-326-546, www.bushfire.org.au.